Hi everyone and welcome to the Private Practice with Soul podcast. This is the first podcast for counsellors that just don't align with the traditional approaches to business and that want to use their spiritual gifts, talents and interests to create, you guessed it, a private practice with soul. So look, leave it to me to provide you with everything you need, including strategies that you can use to increase your income, reduce your workload and of course increase inquiries and referrals to your beautiful soul-led private practice. I love it so much. If you haven't done it already, grab your journal, grab your pen and let's begin. Good morning, everyone. Happy Saturday. Welcome to another episode of the Private Practice with Soul podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Dr. Brooklyn Storm, and it's so, so, so great to be here with you today. Now, uh, Today's topic is going to be about high-functioning autism and the reason why is because I mentioned it sort of off the cuff in passing in my previous episode. I've had a number of requests from people to ask me what it is and, you know, how it affects your business and stuff like that. So, okay, um, as I said, this isn't something that I've really discussed in the in the past. I've alluded to it, but I haven't ever really discussed it in the past. But I'm happy to go there. So uh, I just want to preface, preface this by saying that this is just my story. All right. I'm taking my psychologist hat off. Not that I am one anymore, but um, I'm taking that off. I'm taking the clinical stuff off. I'm taking my therapist stuff off. I'm just being... Brooklyn now and this is just my story um okay so I guess the thing is that I wasn't diagnosed until fairly late in my life and there are a number of reasons for that um I guess when I was growing up looking back there were definitely signs I mean we've got video we've got photo we've got mum's diary all that sort of stuff where she's expressing like concern for my development (laughs) um it like little things like just these days you'd probably get an OT involved (laughs) um but back then it kind of like there was just this lack of awareness but anyway there were definitely signs when I was little like um I wasn't, it took me ages to learn how to crawl um, and I would do everything in a, in a, not a logical way. I would find my own way to do things. I would see the world very, very differently to everybody else. Um, I, I felt on the inside, like I can remember some experiences of being in kindergarten. I think I must've been four years old. Um, where I just felt like I was an adult and I used to boss other kids around and um, I used to always make sure that everybody else was doing what they were told to do. Um, I was a dobber. (laughs) I was that person. So you can imagine like going from kindergarten to primary school probably wasn't that popular (laughs) Um, and I did get bullied. I was that girl that... um, you know, other kids would chase her to 
you know, provoke me into responding in a way that they thought was just hysterical. But for me, I was so frustrated and so mad and so angry that they were provoking me and I would carry on. Um, I really struggled with making friends and fitting in, but I was always the teacher's pet because I was the good girl. I would always do really well in school even though my intelligence was just average, um, I used to apply myself. I took school very, very seriously and I took all of the rules very, very seriously. And as I said, I was the one that was like telling the teacher when somebody was not following the rules. Like if we were told you had to sit boy, girl, boy, girl, or something like that. And there were two girls sitting together. I was the first one to go on top. Um, I must've just been so annoying for my classmates. I mean, Oh, I, I, I can't believe that I was that person, but I was, I was, and I took pride in it. Like I felt like I was a good girl when I was following the rules. So this became uh, reinforced because when I followed the rules, I got acknowledged. I would get a gold star from the teacher. I would constantly get awards for being conscientious. I would get principal's awards at school for being like on time every day and always doing the right thing. You know, I mean, when I was growing up at primary school, we didn't have like wrapper free days like they do now um, or wrapper free lunches. We just used to get told, go outside for an hour, take your lunch with you and put your rubbish in the bin. Well, I used to go and tell the yard duty teacher if somebody didn't put their rubbish in the bin. And then five minutes later, I was getting chased <laughs> and picked on and hollered at and all those sorts of things. And then I would cry and I would have a, well, not a meltdown, but I would, I would, I don't think it was a meltdown. I don't know, but I would cry. I'd bore my eyes out and I'd be very upset. But then a teacher would come and reinforce that I had done the right thing. So there was like this behavioral reinforcement of my, I don't know, symptoms, if you want to call them that. And then when I was at home, I was the eldest of six children. So I also knew the importance of rules and order and all that sort of stuff. And so I I used to take it upon myself to make sure that my siblings had got their school uniforms ready for the next day, had their lunches ready for the next day. Everything was lined up on the bench in piles of, so I used to make piles of clothes and lunches for my siblings. And my mum taught me how to do this, you know, and then I took it over very, very proudly, of course. Um, This whole thing of, uh, I had to get everybody's pyjamas ready and there was a little cubby in the pantry at kid height. <laughs> um, and I used to put everybody's pajamas in there. And then I used to tell everybody, go and have your bath um, and here are your pajamas. And then the they would come down and I would be getting ready like the school uniforms, um, the lunches. And I'll put my first in the line and then my brothers and then my four sisters and so there'd be like this row of piles of school uniform with lunches and you know I would make sure that my mum had signed all the readers you know I'd say to my mum don't forget to sign the readers and stuff like that because I don't know if you still have to do that but we used to have these reading reading books that we had to read and the parents had to sign off that they'd read them and all of this so that was me very, very much a rule follower. I didn't like to be touched. Even from 
the youngest age, I did not want to be touched um, and I would shut down, withdraw. I was like the cold child that my mother couldn't attach to. Um, And, you know, I felt so guilty about that later on when I learned about how much of a struggle it was for her to feel a connection with me physically. I didn't want to be breastfed. I didn't want to be held by her or my father I didn't I just did not want to be touched and this was very upsetting because I was the first baby for my parents and they questioned themselves and they wondered why and then they would try and not forced to hug me but that they would just keep trying to hug me and I didn't even like it when my mum had to brush my hair I, I hated that and I just I didn't like being bathed because they had to touch me and it was just horrible for me. I used to dread my own bath time. I used to dread getting my hair done. I didn't carry on. I just sort of sucked it up. But I was never what you would call a clingy child. I was never affectionate, anything like that. That was not me. And my poor parents to this day, uh, for the longest time, I felt so guilty about that because my mother still cries about it. Um, luckily for them, they went on and had more children who were affectionate <laughs> and loved to be cuddled and, 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 you know, all of that. But it just was never me. I had trouble making friends because, you know, um, not only did I not want to be touched, like when I was at primary school, it was really common. Like if you had a fight with someone, the teacher would make you shake hands with that person. So because I didn't want to be touched, even though I did want to resolve a conflict in the school playground, it never went over very well because I never wanted to shake the hand of the person that I was apologizing to. It didn't mean that I wasn't sincere in my apology. I absolutely was sincere, but I just did not want to touch anybody and I didn't want to be touched. And as a result of that, I get put in the naughty corner for being like disrespectful and not not being genuine with my apology and things so I started to really not like school that much when I went to high school I guess everything started to get worse for me because there were things going on in life around you know my father left and you know it was my mum looking after six kids and she was a, she was a very young mum and um i guess i i just stepped into the role of being like a father um because it just came very naturally to me so i kept up with the right this is what we're going to do and i took charge and i was in control and i was telling everybody what they needed to do and do you know what i mean i was doing all of that and i never even thought twice about it i know now that it was very damaging um being parentified at such a young age but because of the autism it was fine for me like within my own head in, in my own world like looking from my eyes out i felt like this was normal and so I went with it and then um, socially in high school I struggled a lot I didn't fit in I wasn't meeting the developmental milestones Um, 
all of that sort of stuff. I mean, I was doing okay in school, but I wasn't getting along with people. I was still very frustrated at rule breakers and things like that. And don't get me wrong, like I wasn't an angel. Um, There were times where I did try and go down the, the back of the oval, but I was overcome with like such a sense of guilt. And do you know what? This is how, not how bad, this is how strong this sense of rules are for me. I um, was, you know, not fitting in and, and getting very bullied. Um, and I was attending Frankston High School, right? And I lived on Winton Avenue. And Winton Avenue is like on the same block as the high school. Now, a lot of kids in my class, they were, they were you know, truanting and, you know, they'd leave the school grounds when they weren't allowed to and stuff like that. And although I was getting bullied, it never occurred to me to skip school and just go home. It never occurred to me because you just don't do that. That's breaking a rule. Do you see what I mean? There were other things that happened in my life where my adherence to rules got in the way of... (sighs) me being able to thrive and flourish. I remember when I was 13 or 14 years old and I was at that age where my dad used to take me to the doctors. So we used to go to a big medical clinic in Wells Street in Frankston. It's not there anymore, but it was at Jeffrey Edelstein's medical clinic And uh, it was new at the time. It was very luxurious. It was painted in the colours of the time, like the pinky, corally, peachy colours. There was a lot of gold everywhere, gold tiles. uh, There was chandeliers. There there was um, a white baby grand piano that, you know, was usually getting played. And it was just a very luxurious um, medical clinic, all bulk billing. And I used to get throat infections a lot, um, really bad ones. And my mum was usually staying home with my siblings and so my dad would drive me down to the medical clinic. And I was at that age where I, I guess, you know, I'd been through puberty and everything and I just I didn't want my dad coming in anymore. I just wanted to go in to the doctors by myself. And so on this particular occasion, I, I said, you know, I just want to go by myself. I just want to go by myself. And so they trusted me. My parents trusted me to go by myself. So I go down to the medical clinic and I, um, you know, made my appointment and because you could just walk in and, you know, I sat and waited and then I went into the consulting room and I was there for my throat, okay, and while I'm there for my throat, the doctor asks me other things. And anyway, one thing leads to another and I get sexually assaulted. Um, I came out of the consulting room shaking, like quivering. I don't know how I was even able to stand up. Um, I knew that something not good something not right I knew that a rule had been broken I knew that a rule had been broken and that this doctor had broken it Um, but to give you an example of how my autism affected me instead of 
me screaming that I'd just been, you know, sexually assaulted, I go up to the ladies at the counter, the receptionists, and I ask them, do they need me to sign anything before I leave? I mean, what? (laughs) That's what I do. And then I manage to go home. I get myself home. And all the way, I'm thinking to myself, do I tell my parents what happened? Because also, like, let's add into the mix, I'm Gen X. And (laughs) all the other Gen Xers will understand what I'm about to say. I had only just got my freedom. So I knew that if I told my my parents what had just happened, I knew that I was probably going to lose my freedom. I knew that they would assume maybe that I had done something wrong, that I had broken a rule. And the idea of me getting into trouble for breaking a rule was more than I could bear to stand. So I had this big internal, you know, stuff going on all the way home it felt like the longest walk home because I used to walk everywhere because we didn't have money for bus fare I know I sound like one of those ladies who says we walked five miles in the snow it wasn't anything like that it was it's about a half hour walk but anyway so I, I walked but all the time this this is going around in my head do I tell them do I not tell them um da 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 anyway I didn't I didn't say anything and this doctor had done a test, okay? And uh, I went back down to the Edelstein's clinic, um, I think about two days later. And by this time, I'd had time to think about what had happened. And, you know, I, f- I felt like, no, he broke a rule and he needs to, he needs to pay for breaking a rule, right? <laughs> so I go down to the clinic and the same ladies are there that were there on the day that I saw this doctor. And anyway, I give them my name, which was different at the time to what you know me as now. Um, I give them my name and I say, you know, I'm here to pick up my test results. And they have a look and they're confused and they're like, you never had a test. And I was like, I had a test. And then I lost my you know what, I cracked it. I was, you know, hysterical. I was hysterical because not only had this doctor sexually assaulted me, now there was no proof of the of the sexual assault and now I was getting questioned when I wasn't the rule breaker he broke the rule and now he's going to get away with it and there's nothing I can do about it and that caused so much distress for me that caused so much distress for me um I never wanted to see another doctor again um even to this day I I avoid doctors etc 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 so anyway nothing ever happened I remembered ringing um who was it I I can't remember like whoever was in oh I rang the RACGP that's right I rang the RACGP and you know I said what had happened and they said do you know the name of the doctor and do you think I could remember the name of the doctor I couldn't um anyway so nothing ever happened as a result of that but I'm just sharing that with you because I wanted you to see like from the inside this is what living with and it's nothing I can change right it's I don't don't think I can change it I think it's just part of who I am I struggle 
with with rules and even when other people are breaking them I still try and do the right thing um anyway so so that happened and then there were other instances of um rule breaking that you know really caused me a lot a lot of a lot of stress and drama like there was a time I was driving my car and I was driving Mercedes and it was an old Mercedes right I just wanted to drive a luxury car I was in my 20s or 30s no 30s late 20s early 30s and I had this Mercedes right not a brand new one just an old one and it was red and I really loved it and I was I was going to work at um, I was managing like five Centrelink offices at the time and life was good right married blah 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 and I had the windows down and there were these two guys that were you know trying to get my attention and all of this sort of stuff and I was just ignoring them and then they kept like you know just not being very nice like you know trying to get my attention calling out to me hey baby you know all that kind of stuff and anyway um they ended up having some kind of accident because well not an accident they nearly had an accident um, they were spending so much time trying to get my attention that they they veered the car into a different lane. This was in um, Narry Warren on Princess Freeway or Princess Highway, whatever it's called, that they, um, you know, weren't aware. They I think they thought that they were steering straight, that they were driving a straight line, but they started to veer into the, the lane next to them, right? Um, and anyway, it caused a little bit of a, a kerfuffle. Um, nobody was hurt or or injured or anything, but their car um, span um, span in like th- almost three hundred and sixty. I think they. It was crazy. I mean, it's eighty along that road. Um, anyway, I go to work and I'm shaken because I've seen this, and I'm shaken, and you know, I'm like, this was scary and blah blah blah. Anyway. I drive home that day and there's a little card in my door from Nary Warren Police, of all places, saying, could I give them a call? So I'm like, yep, sure. And I've got no idea what this is about, right? I've never been in trouble before. I'm a good person, right? I I follow the rules. So I'm not scared. I'm not nervous. I'm like, yeah, sure. I wonder what the issue is. So I give them a call and they're like, hey there, can you come down to Narry Warren Police Station? We need to have a conversation with you. I'm like, yep, fine, no problem. So I go down there, take my husband with me because we we're going to go and get dinner afterwards because um, it was like at night and I'm still in my work clothes like I've literally come home from work seen this card in the door made the phone call got Pete who I was married to at the time and off we've off we've gone go to the police station the police station like yeah come in they wouldn't let Pete in with me um, and I still was clueless about why I was there um they took me down the back but I started to get worried that they wouldn't let Pete come with me um so now I'm starting to feel a little bit like what the hell's going on here oh sorry I said H I'm thinking what what's going on here right and anyway they're they're like how tall do you reckon you are what color do you do you call that hair you know is that blonde is that mouse brown like what do you call that um what do you call your eyes 
you know, would they be blue or would they be grey? And they're asking me all these things, right? And now I'm starting to get nervous because they haven't told me why I'm there. I don't know what's going on. And then eventually after they take all this information from me, um, they say that two men have been down there and reported me for, um, you know, trying to run them off the road. And, you know, they believe that those men were telling the truth because they're professional drivers. And so already I was accused of doing something I didn't do. And so here comes the anxiety right? Because now I've got to prove I didn't do something. And how do you prove you didn't do something? And they're like, well, we know that these guys are telling the truth because, well, they reported you and um, we took their blood alcohol and they hadn't been drinking. And I said, well, I haven't been drinking. I was on my way to work. It was like 8.30 in the morning. And they're like, well, it's too late for us to tell whether or not you've been drinking. So were you drinking? I was like, no, I haven't been drinking. They're asking me if I was under the influence of anything else. I was like, no. And then I, I'm sitting there, right, and I'm trying to justify how I didn't do anything. And then I, st- they're like, you, you know, you can, you're gonna, um, you can go to jail for this. You can, it's culpable driving. You can, um, you know, go to court. We don't know what we're gonna do with you. And I was in a, um, I was being interviewed. Like, it was the way that the workspace was set out was like all the police were sort of in this one area. Um, and they were all at their desks doing their own thing. And I was off on the side with this other police officer, um, bawling my eyes out, hysterical, not understanding why I was in trouble. Um, and I'm telling them, well, this is what happened. And I explain everything that happened, but they're already fixed on, no, you did the wrong thing. You caused this to happen. Because we don't have, um, you know, we've only got your word, but for the other guy, we've got a witness, you know, the passenger in the car. And I'm like, well, there's nothing I can do about that. I didn't have a passenger in the car to be my witness. And then they're like, just, it was really, 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 even just thinking about it now brings up trauma responses for me. Like I'm feeling it in my body. Um, I still can't believe that that happened. Anyway. They're like, well, why do you think these two um, men would make this up? And so I felt like a heel, like I felt so embarrassed. I'm like, well, do you know what? They were whistling. They were, you know, trying to get my attention. They were calling me baby. They were doing all of this. They were, you know, they were just, I don't even know the word for it. Like they were just like harassing me while we were while we were driving I even wound my window up and I ignored them I just drove straight ahead and I looked straight ahead because I didn't want to engage and they said oh well that fits what the other what the two men were saying because they said that um you were just looking straight ahead and you had a stony expression on your face I said I did because I didn't want to engage with them Like, I'm not going to answer back and do all of this while we're all driving. No, I wound my window up and it was eyes ahead, of course. Like, that's what a responsible person who follows the rules would do. Anyway, they took, oh, I can't even remember. I think it was nearly a week to make a decision about whether or not I was going to be charged. 
Um, I didn't get charged. But that left in my mind that, again, here I've got an authority figure. So first it's a doctor and now it's now it's police that, you know, people who aren't following the rules are getting away with stuff. And I, I'm following the rules, but I'm not a victim, but like I'm on the, I'm in the side where I shouldn't be. And it baffles me and it leaves me feeling helpless because I think what else can I do? Like I was already doing all of the right things. So anyway, this is, this is how my fixation to it's it's mostly a fixation around rules um <clears throat> sorry it's just um it, br- it brings up a lot of stuff that I don't even like to to think about because of the rules like I'm still thinking it's not fair <laughs> this should never have happened to me because I'm a good person right I pride myself on honesty I pride myself on integrity I pride myself on dotting I's and, and crossing T's so when people don't believe me um I don't cope with that at all I find that very difficult to process I just have to let time pass until it becomes like it's not on my radar anymore it's just time in terms of in terms of the business in terms of the business in terms of private practice uh how does it how does it show up now it's different for everyone and look I didn't get my diagnosis until I was in my 40s. And there is a thing there are some things to understand, right? It's really it's really nobody's you know, I'm not blaming anybody that I I wasn't diagnosed at an earlier age. If I had been diagnosed at an earlier age, I absolutely would have benefited because I absolutely would have had support. I would have had somebody to teach me how to play nicely. I would have, and that would have allowed me to have friends. Um, I struggle to maintain long-term relationships with with partners. You know, I've been single for, oh gosh, I don't know, maybe six years now. I don't know. And it's the happiest I've ever been, right? I, I go away by myself because I'm overwhelmed in noise. When I go to Dalesford, I love to go to a shop there called Empress and Wolf, right? It's my happy place. But do you know what? If there's more than three or four people in that shop, I'm overwhelmed. I've got to get out. It's the same as it's the same as anywhere. I can handle going to places that are like big warehouses as long as there's only a couple of people in my aisle, right? I'm, f- I'm fine with that. I can go to a restaurant as long as I'm facing a window um, because I don't want to be seeing people. I just want to be by myself. But anyway, um, back in the day, if I had been diagnosed, I would have been diagnosed with Asperger's. But when the um, when you get when you get diagnosed today, right? You need to be a child. There needs to be all those criteria that are met. I'm not going to go into it, but um, and the diagnosis isn't made by one person. It's usually made by a psychologist who contributes to the diagnosis, an OT who contributes to the diagnosis, a speech therapist and a paediatrician, right? Sometimes a psychiatrist. So it's usually, you know, a a combination of of 
different professionals that work together to identify whether or not there is a diagnosis. Um, but anyway, I think, oh, and the other thing too is that uh, I've lost my train of thought. Sorry. It's a bit emotional today, but um, sorry, just bear with me. What do I want to share with you? It, it took a long time for me to get diagnosed because um, 48 years ago, there wasn't the awareness like there is now. Plus, there was a lot of stigma. Um, anyway, so it didn't happen. I'm sure if there had been diagnosis, my life would have been very different and a lot easier, perhaps. Um, but anyway, I was diagnosed much later in life. Um, and the other thing to understand is that it's less common in women or girls than it is in boys boys tend to be um you know it's more recognizable and more boys in australia are diagnosed than than girls women etc etc plus also by the time i was in my 40s i'd learned to mask a lot of my symptoms and i'd learned to mask a lot of things and i'd learned to smooth things over i think what led to the diagnosis was actually that period in my life where i was connecting back in with um you know, things that had given me solace in the past, like my spiritual practices and um, things like that. I think that was what unlocked everything for me. And from from there, I knew that I needed to go and get help. Um, and what I realized was that um, when, um, when I feel anxious, when anxiety comes up for me, it's usually probably eight times or nine times even out of 10, a consequence of somebody around me, whether that's at work or whether that's in private practice or whether that's in life, not following a rule and me being on the receiving end of that and me having to pay a consequence for somebody else not following a rule. So that is what triggers anxiety for me. And the diagnosis really helped me understand anxiety. Um, and so I was very, 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 very grateful because although there are some people who say they don't like a diagnosis or they don't like labels, for me, it gave me context to understand my life. It gave me context to understand my emotions. Da, da, da. Like I've got sensory issues galore um apart from just not wanting to be touched I'm, I'm very sensitive to loud noises I don't like being in crowded places never have um anyway or, or just the stuff but it was um I don't know it was like when I got that diagnosis it was like there's nothing wrong with you this is just who you are because all that time I felt so different to everybody else. And I thought, why doesn't anybody else get stressed like me? Why doesn't anybody else have these responses like me? What's wrong with me? So I always thought there was something wrong with me. But when I got the diagnosis, I realized, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. This is just how I am. Okay, I have autism. I get it now. I get it. Um, and so it was very, very empowering. And that helped me so much because... Once I had that context um, and that knowledge, it made it easier 
for me to move freely um, and with less restriction in my world and my experience of the world around me. Um, in my business, right? Um, oh, yeah. So it would have been called Asperger's ages ago, but now it's um, autism. And it would be called or referred to as high functioning, but there are a whole lot of issues around around that. So I, I think I still stick with Asperger's. But, um, yeah, that wouldn't be what the diagnosis is now. Um, it would be autism. But the thing about saying high functioning is that uh, you're kind of implying that you don't need as much understanding or that you don't need as much support as somebody who is um, you know low functioning um, and that's not the case you just need different support and different understanding but anyway that was kind of like my story but when it comes to running my business I think it works for me um, because I get to run my business by myself which means I don't have to deal with other people's you know difficulty following rules um yeah because I struggled in employment settings um as you can imagine but working for myself it, it really works for me um I am somebody who can see big picture and I can map things out really really well and that's a skill that I've got while I don't have great attention for um, all all the detail like sometimes I'll have a, a typo in a post or something like that but generally speaking I'm good at mapping things out I love processes right I love processes processes are my safe place that's how I calm myself down if I've got a process then the process is are the steps that you follow and if you follow those steps then you get to this outcome and in business that works really really well for me because I love to know what the steps are so like if somebody wants to be more visible with their private practice I can say great these are the steps and I can walk them through those steps and they'll increase their visibility if somebody comes to me and says I need more clients I can say great these are the steps to get more clients and I'll go boom 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 and they'll work through all those steps and then they get more clients and there's so much evidence of this for me um and even now like with um Oh, well, with a high-level mentorship group, they all set goals for themselves when they started. They, they've just hit the halfway point with their mentoring, or not even, sorry, they're not even at the halfway point with the mentoring, and they've all hit their goals. Um, they follow the steps, they hit the goals. The ladies in Marketing with Soul, you know, they, they check in every week with, with updates. They're hitting their goals. You know, somebody got a contract. Somebody got an inquiry. Somebody um, got three new clients. Someone made their first $10,000. You know, somebody made their first $5,000. Somebody got their first three clients. So when, they, when I give them the steps and they take those steps, they get the results. So for me, processes are really easy. Um, I love them. I know that they work. I test them before I, you know, give them to everybody. And I know hand on heart, 100%, if you follow the processes that I put in place, you can absolutely get the outcome that th those processes are designed to give you. So in that sense, rules 
work really well. Rules and processes work really well for me and I've been able to create a business based on my quirks. (laughs) And it's a fabulous business and I love it and I wouldn't swap it for the world. Okay, it means uh, having, you know, high functioning autism or having Asperger's means that um, I really love systems. I really love structure, but I also really love routine. Right. So if if someone messes with my routine, no. So I control my diary. Um, I have a routine of, right, this is when I see people. This is not when I see people. This is how I do this. This is how I do that. Da, 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 da. So one of my skills is not only for myself, but helping other people find using that masculine energy um, to create structure and systems and routines that are going to give them the, the same peace of mind I have um, because they know that they're going to work, right? One of the other um, I don't know the word to say it, but one of the other things that I really appreciate about my diagnosis is that I feel like it, it really just without, oh, I don't know the way to say it. It's, it's about honesty and integrity, right? It's not in me to be dishonest because that would be breaking a rule and I can't do that. So the, the, stuckness the the adherence to following the rules and and to doing the right thing um by default means that i'm always going to be working in integrity because i just can't not i could I, i couldn't not like it's not in me not to do that because of this condition that i have so i'm often known for my honesty and integrity, which is such a valuable thing for me to to have for my business, right? It builds trust, sure, but I couldn't imagine, and it's not just in business, it's in it's in friendships, it's in, you know, it, it, everything. This is because the rules are the rules. I can't not be honest or, or working in integrity. One of the things that I struggle with, though, is when my integrity is questioned. So, for example, if somebody does like break a rule or follow a process, like um, as I mentioned in the past, sometimes people will just stop their payments, right? No particular reason, just stop their payments. They've already had the service, they've got the result, and you know I've I've approved a payment plan for them because I want to help, and then they've just decided to stop paying, right? Um, that doesn't sit well with me because they're breaking a rule now. And, you know, for the longest time, I didn't know how to handle that. Um, didn't realize it was because I didn't have processes that were solid enough around managing, you know, payment defaults and and cancellations and stuff like that. I didn't have those processes in place. I do now. Um, but at the time when that was happening, it was very, 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 very frustrating. And I used to feel like this isn't fair. This isn't right. They're doing the wrong thing, you know, all of that. But because I am very passionate about my faith, I'm very passionate about spirituality, I would tell myself, stop, 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 stop. You know, what does your higher self say about this? And I, I would just say, do you know what? 
let let it go let it go it's creating space for something new just you know let it go you don't need to be worked up over this you know just learn from it blah 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 so I would try and do that but um what would happen was I would you know I would get nasty emails from people um and feel very very upset about that because again that's breaking a rule like you should never send a nasty email with you know horrible words in it you should never do that that's just not a thing and we're all professionals and da 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 so that would trigger something in me and then I would just I would just block that person right so I was like do you know what I I don't want to receive any communication from you in future and I would remove them from my world And so now there's a bunch of people who've been removed from my world (laughs) who don't say very nice things about me. Um, And, and, you know, they're they're together and they've all got a shared experience, right? They all defaulted on their payments. (laughs) They were all removed from my world and now they they like to get together and say not nice things. But you know what? that has got nothing to do with me. What other people say about me is none of my business. I think if other people can't work in um integrity that says more about them than it does about me with a boundary so anyway honesty and integrity are you know they're not something I can't not have because I've got this fixation on rules the other thing that really um I I experience is a passion for my work um and I don't know what it's like for you, but for me as someone who's got Asperger's or, or high-functioning autism, I have a really deep passion for um, private practice and not only private practice, I have a really deep passion for empowering everybody to have a flourishing and thriving private practice that really, truly you know, wholly fulfills them at at a soul level where they get to receive, they get to be in that feminine energy and receive, but they also get to be in the masculine energy of of giving. And so it's this beautiful energy exchange. I believe that they should all be able, everyone should be able to work in that beautiful flow state. Um, I believe that you're always supported. I believe that you're, you're divinely supported. And I believe myself that I want to constantly improve what I'm doing. And, you know, to that extent, my word for this year, as you know, is um, refine. So that's what I'm doing today. Like I've decided to cancel my ClickFunnels account and cancel my MemberVault account and I've signed up with ThriveCut. So I'll be transferring everything over to uh, ThriveCut and within ThriveCut I'm going to be, you know, re-recording some videos um, for, for everybody. I'll be adding in a few new resources for everybody and it just feels so good to be refining and improving something I've already got that's working. So the first thing that's going to move over to ThriveCut is the Marketing with Soul program. 
And I'm really, 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 really excited to get it over there. Um, it's already been through <laughs> two or three revisions and now it's getting a fourth one. And it's really lovely because people who've been through it previously get to see all the new changes and all the new improvements and all the new things. And uh, it's just so lovely. And I get to lead by example and show them that, hey, you know what, um, you don't have to keep creating new things like just improve the thing that you've got and it's amazing um so that's there's some of the ways that i think having asperger's or high functioning autism works for me or i have found a way to make it it work socially there are things i still need to work on but i have my practice now it's entirely online and i feel so at ease with that it allows me to do so much more for my clients because i'm happier and i'm more calm and i'm more relaxed and i get to be more in flow i the idea of running in-person group supervision sends chills through me there's no way i could do it especially if people wanted to be in my space especially if somebody wanted to give me a hug oh no but i can absolutely enjoy running my group supervision online that's perfect i love that if everybody said hey let's get together at the end of the year you know oh i i i mm. I would real. I would go probably. I don't know. Like I've been to one, um, and it was it was fine because there are only a few of us there. But um, yeah, I don't know that I could go to another one. People keep saying to me, "Hey, when are you going to run a retreat? When are you going to re- run a retreat?" And I love the idea of running retreats, but I only want there to be two or three other people at my retreats. <laughs> So I would have to think about what that was going to look like. (laughs) And, you know, I'd have to give a lot of thought about costing it out. And yeah, like if we all had to stay in the same place, like I was thinking, oh, yeah, I can um, run a retreat in Dalesford because I'm there like so many times a year. I've thought, you know, I can run a retreat in Dalesford, but I only want two or three people to be there. So I don't know if it's going to be financially viable or not. So I don't know. I have to think about stuff like that more so than other people who are like, retreat, yay, let's go. (laughs) Like I'm never going to go to the Tony Robbins, you know, unleash the power within or date with destiny because I don't want to be around all those people. Like that's a nightmare for me. I'll do it online. (laughs) That works for me. So anyway, I just want you to understand that if if you, what do I want to say? Just give me a minute here. I, I guess I just want to share that people are just people and I'm just a person. Just, just like you. There's nothing special about me. Um, the only thing that's different about me is, you know, I just have, I just have these little things. That, that's all. Um, but I make them work for my business, not against my business. Um, and I want you to know that if you have, you know, anything, whether it's, I don't know. If you have anything, um, if you've ever been diagnosed with anything, I don't want you to feel like it limits you. I want you to see how it empowers you, right? And how it makes you so 
different because you you can really mean it when you do something like you own it fully when you do something um and I want you to own what makes you different and not be limited I don't want you to say like because now there are all these little ones that have been diagnosed like there was a real boom when I had my private practice I remember it was like I don't know I want to say 2017 to 2020 I had every second appointment with somebody wanting to be assessed for autism it was a real boom. I don't know where it happened. Oh, where it happened. I don't know why it happened, sorry. Um, but there was a real demand for, for you know, parents wanting to get their children tested. Um, if you have a child that has been diagnosed with something like autism, or actually I can only speak to autism, so ignore that. If they've been diagnosed with autism, I want you to understand that it's not limiting and it doesn't need to be limiting. Um, They will find a way of making it work for them, Um, just like I found a way of making it work for me. And I'm talking to parents of, you know, children who've been diagnosed as not needing much support. They will need some support, but it doesn't have to limit them, you know, in the ways that you might be thinking. It's not as bad as what you might be thinking. Um, They can absolutely do more than what, what some people who don't have the diagnosis do. They can absolutely do some things better than people who don't have the diagnosis you know what I mean if you have a child that's been diagnosed with autism um, they're going to be honest they're probably gonna um, blurt stuff out without even thinking about it because it's true they're they're not gonna and this is what I used to do as well like I was such an embarrassment I think for my mum like I used to do ballet and calisthenics competitions on weekends and uh you know, I the things I used to say, the things that used to come out of my mouth, like I can remember one time I was standing up on a table and my mum was applying leg tan. <laughs> it was this horrible, it's this horrible brown muck that you have to put on your legs because when you're under the bright light on the stage, your legs look really pale and grey without it. So it's like this really, you look like an oompa loompa and it's horrible it's like the consistency of like toothpaste or it used to be and you've got hairs on your legs right because you're a kid and they're these long blonde hairs and they're all getting smooshed around by the paste and it hurts and it's like oh well it hurt me because I've got sensory issues plus I'm getting touched yuck so I was getting my leg tan on and there was another mother who was doing something. I think she was adjusting my costume or something like that. And then I say to this other mother, um, right in front of my mum, something that really embarrassed my mum. And to me, it was just a fact. And to me, it, you know, facts are, are truth and who cares? But it was I could see it really embarrassed my mum and I got in trouble for it later on. And, you know, I kind of learned oh, so you don't tell the truth. But it's something I I struggled with for the longest time and I really had to learn to be mindful about thinking before I speak. Um, Yeah, so if you have an autistic child, you know, there's a really good chance that your child is going to give it to you straight (laughs) and and be honest with you all the time. If they're like me and maybe they get anxiety, have a look for the patterns around 
anxiety. It took me a long time to realize that my anxiety was caused by the absence of a, of a process or a procedure. Now I know I need processes and procedures. I make more and I create more and I even have started sharing them with my communities and I sell my processes on Etsy now because why not? I'm probably the best person to make a process because <laughs> you know it's going to work. <laughs> so anyway, look, I just wanted to do this podcast today because, um, well, as I said, it was really lovely to hear from people about you know their own experiences with autism and wanting me to speak more into more into mine and do you know what it was just it's never come onto my radar before is something to discuss so thank you for asking me to to speak into it um if you have any other questions i i can answer them for you from the perspective of somebody with a diagnosis not as a, a professional because i don't do that anymore but um yeah Anyway, that's the episode for today. So thank you very, very much for listening. I appreciate you more than you know. Um, and yeah, we'll have another episode on Wednesday. Hope you have a really, 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 really lovely weekend. And yeah, thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you later. Bye. I hope that you loved this episode as much as I loved putting it together for you. To get more resources to help you in your private practice, head over to Instagram. My handle is at the private practice coach. And also, if you want more inquiries and referrals for your business, let me know. I have a program called Clients on Demand that opens every quarter, and I can absolutely get you some information for that as well. You are doing an amazing job. Thank you for sharing your gifts with the world. Bye.